Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Before we get started with today's session, I wanted to share a really amazing resource with you. A question that everyone has, a problem that everybody deals with is, how do I focus within my prayer? How do I enjoy my salah? Well, the answer to that question, the solution to that problem is actually quite straightforward and simple. If we understand what we say within our prayer, we'll be able to focus on it, internalize it, and actually get back to enjoying our conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We created a solution to make this possible. It's called Meaningful Prayer. This is a course, a curriculum, a seminar, a workshop that I taught in over a hundred locations all across this country and even in other countries. Tens of thousands of people have taken this course and it has really turned around, transformed their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well now, inshallah, you can take the Meaningful Prayer course online. You can take it according to your own schedule, at your own leisure. You can pace yourself. You can go back and review lessons multiple times to really be able to internalize them. Go to MeaningfulPrayer.com to sign up. Share this resource with others so that we can get back to not only just offering our prayers or performing our salah, but we can go back to experiencing a conversation and relationship with Allah. Now, to get on to today's session, inshallah, we're going to be covering the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality. The following session was recorded at the Seerah Intensive. Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, we're going to be doing the last two narrations that are mentioned here uh, within the text. Now, as I had explained uh, in the previous session, the chapter itself uh, actually ends uh, at the previous narration. These last two narrations that Imam Tirmidhi rahmahullah ta'ala uh, brings here in the uh, Shama'il is a conclusion to his compilation on the prophetic personality, on the Shama'il Muhammadiyah. And so inshallah, we'll read through them and we'll talk about uh, what these uh, quotes exactly are referring to um, and a little bit of the wisdom as to why uh, Imam At-Tirmidhi rahimahullahu ta'ala brings them here and what benefit we can derive from them. The first narration, قَالَ الْمُصَنِّفُ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ عَلِي قَالَ سَمِعَتُ أَبِي يَقُولْ قَالَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ الْمُبَارَكِ in this narration, Abdullah bin Mubarak, rahimullah ta'ala, he says that if you are, if you deal with the responsibility of judging between people, then stick to what has been reported by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa now, first and foremost, just to create some context, who is Abdullah bin Mubarak? Abdullah bin Mubarak, rahimullahu ta'ala, he, his kunya was Abu Abdurrahman. Many of the scholars have referred to him with different titles, such as Shaykhul Islam or Amirul Mu'minina fil Hadith. He was born in the year 118 after Hijrah. And he passed away in the year 181 after Hijrah. And Abdullah bin Mubarak rahimullah ta'ala, 
is from amongst um, some of the greatest scholars of the earlier generations. He was a student. He directly benefited from scholars of the caliber of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah ta'ala. And um, Imam Ahmad rahimahullah ta'ala was a student of one of the students, uh, of many of the students of Abdullah bin Mubarak. Ibn Abdul Bar, another great muhaddith, he says, Ajma'al ulama'u ala qubulihi wa jalalatihi wa imamatihi wa adlihi. That there is an absolute consensus of the scholars about the acceptance of Abdullah bin Mubarak as an authority within our tradition. And uh, there's absolute consensus about his caliber uh, of scholarship and his leadership amongst the scholarly community and the fact that he was extremely trustworthy. So in this particular narration, he says, That if you are tested, he uses the word ibtila, which means to be tested by something. He says that if you are tested with, if you are tested by, that meaning, to kind of put it into more normal, um, I guess you can say translation, he's saying that if you find yourself in the extremely difficult position, bil qada, and qada basically here refers to al-hukmu bayna nas That means that either you find yourself in the position of being a judge, where you have to issue rulings and verdicts, or you find yourself in a position where people place you between them as an arbitrator, to settle their matters, to settle their disputes amongst one another. Or you find yourself in a position where people come to you for religious knowledge and religious rulings. So, and and the reason why he specifically quotes this, even though, of course, his message is that stick to the sunnah of the Prophet Well, you should stick to the sunnah of the Prophet regardless. Why is he specifying if you find yourself in this particular position? Because of just the severity of that position. How difficult it is to be in that particular position. um, And and how, you know, compromising it can be. How, how difficult it can be to manage all the different factors that are involved. Because on one side, you are being asked to make a very objective decision and conclusion. But being human beings, you're obviously affected by different human you know, sentiments and realities. Whether it be having empathy or having sympathy or just having a bias or an inclination in a particular uh, direction. So... Finding yourself in the position where you are giving people advice, you are giving people religious guidance, you are settling very serious legal matters and issues that pertain to people's lives and that can tremendously impact people. If you find yourself in that position, and even within the way he says it, there's some profound wisdom. That a lot of times people, they crave, you know, or they lust after, they crave, uh, you know, that type of power or that level of influence. They think that it's some type of an honor or distinction. And God forbid, some people can actually become quite enamored with just having that type of power over other people. It's a, it's a tribulation. It's a tribulation. Now, obviously, doing that for people also seems like a great service, and it seems like a religiously very, very noble thing to do for people. But it doesn't take away from the fact that one should, if one has been given the tools and the opportunity and the knowledge to be able to do this, and one finds themselves in a position to be able to provide the service to the community, absolutely one should assume that responsibility. But the person who finds themselves in that position should never take it lightly should never take it lightly. It should always weigh on the person. 
Now you find yourself in that position where it weighs so heavily upon you and it's quite intimidating and overwhelming to be in that situation. So now how are you going to manage it? How are you going to deal with it? And that's where he says, فَعَلَيْكَ بِالْأَثَرِ That you need to stick to the knowledge that has been transmitted. Al-Athar literally refers to um, something that is passed on, something, remnants, quite literally. If you translate the word Athar literally, it refers to remnants, something that is left behind. Atharu shay. Alright? And so, but in technical terminology, in religious terminology, the word Athar refers to the knowledge that has been transmitted and that has been passed on. And what it refers to in this type of context, particularly because he's talking about fiqh and you know, uh, giving people answers to their questions, the word athar here refers to anything that comes from the Prophet ﷺ, and similarly anything that comes from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. That you should really hold firm to that. You should hold fast to that. You should rely upon that. You should commit yourself to that. And take it very, very seriously. And make that your resource. And um, there's just some commentary as well that I wanted to mention here uh, when it comes to the word athar particularly. Imam al-Nawawi in the Sharh of Sahih Muslim, he says, Al-Atharu al muhaddithina al-marfu'a wal-mawquf kal-khabri wal-hadith. Right? That it refers to both what comes from the Prophet and what comes from the companions. Um, and uh, there's, there's a quote as well, one of the scholars who's written kind of a, a poem about the sciences of hadith. He says, وَالْخَبْرُ الْمَتْنُ الْحَدِيثِ الْأَثَرُ مَا عَنْ إِمَامِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ يُؤْثَرُ أَوْ غَيْرُهُ لَا فَرْقَ فِي مَا إِعْتَمَدَ وَالْأَثْرُ ثَانِي عَنْ مُحَمَّدَ Right, that it basically is that which comes from the Prophet ﷺ, but also similarly what comes from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And this basically is reminding us, and the reason why Imam Tirmidhi brings this here at the very end, is because he's just completing an exhaustive effort and compilation about the Prophet ﷺ. And so what he's basically saying is that, that everything that we've read up until this particular point, is not something that we should take lightly. It's not something that we should dismiss. But it's something that we should take very, very seriously. And this is something that should be internalized. And whenever we find ourselves in any type of a position of responsibility, we find ourselves in a position to be able to impart some knowledge and understanding to anyone, then always first go and check what the Prophet said about something, what the companions said about something, how they handled these situations, how they conducted themselves in these scenarios. Always go and first check there. And let that be your guide, let that be your orientation. That should be your orientation about how to go about and how to proceed through this issue. And that's why, that's precisely why. For 1400 years, this ummah has dedicated you know, its best and its brightest to compiling, preserving, narrating, researching, uh, explaining and expounding and extrapolating from the sunnah of the Prophet this is, this is part of the guidance that Allah has given us, that Allah has granted to us. The next narration, <clears throat> or actually before I, I move forward, I wanted to also mention this here, because uh, Abdullah bin Mubarak rahimullahu ta'ala, he has another quote as well, a really remarkable quote that's, that Imam Muslim mentions in the Muqaddam of his Sahih, where he says that Abdullah bin Mubarak is quoted to have said, Al-Isnadu min ad-Din. 
Al-Isnadu min ad-Din. That verifying where the information comes from, the chain of narration, that system of preservation of knowledge, and particularly the legacy, the tradition of the Prophet ﷺ, that we have within our religion, that is a part of the religion. And he says, If we did not have the system of preserving the tradition and the, the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ, anyone could have said whatever it is that they wanted to say. People could say whatever they wanted about whatever, you know, anything. Anyone could have said anything that they wanted. But this whole entire system and this diligent study where we sit down and we read and we study and we um, deliberate and we go through the knowledge and the information, that is for that very reason. At times it might seem a little tedious or painstaking, but understand that it's for our own benefit. And it's something that ultimately helps and benefits us at the end of the day. In the next narration, قال المصنف حدثنا محمد بن علي قال حدثنا النضر بن شميل قال أنبأنا ابن عوف عن ابن سيرين قال هذا الحديث دين فانظروا عمن تأخذون دينكم This narration um, is, this quote rather, is from a great scholar of the earlier generations once again, Muhammad ibn Sirin. Now just a little bit about him just so we understand what, who we're talking about here. Muhammad ibn Sirin was from amongst the tabi'un. He was from amongst the tabi'un. The tabi'un is the generation who are the students of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Excuse me, the students of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu So the tabi'un, they are the students of the Sahaba, the students of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it's a really remarkable generation that once again was very blessed. And they were remarkable people who really made the most of that opportunity to learn from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Muhammad ibn Sirin himself was someone who was very close to the family of the Prophet ﷺ and the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ itself. His mother, he's actually, Sirin was the name of his mother. So he's one of those people that we see who is mentioned by the name of his mother. Right? Muhammad ibn Sirin. He's mentioned by the name of his mother. His mother's name was Sirin. And his mother was a freed slave. His mother was a freed slave. She was, and, and she was freed by Umm Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha, the mother of the believers. So the wife of the Prophet the mother of the believers, Umm Salama, Muhammad ibn Sirin, his mother Sirin was freed by her. So they were very close to the family, the household of the Prophet ﷺ. And so they benefited from that tremendously. So now moving forward, what he says here is this, هَذَا الْحَدِيثُ دِينٌ This hadith, meaning the tradition of the Prophet ﷺ, مَا جَاءَ بِهِ الْمُصْطَفَى لِتَعْلِيمِ أُمَّتِهِ What the Prophet ﷺ brought, what he delivered to teach his ummah, in terms of the teaching of his ummah, that is the tradition of the Prophet ﷺ. This hadith, he says, this is your deen, this is your religion. So then he goes on to say, so be very careful, pay a lot of attention to, be very mindful about who you take your deen from, who you learn your religion from, who you acquire your religion from. Because this hadith, this hadith is your deen. And that means you just can't take this hadith from anywhere. You have to be very mindful and careful where you're taking it from because that's where you're taking your religion from. That's quite literally your deen, your religion. And 
<clears throat> there are many interesting other uh, quotes to this particular effect as well, which really build this idea. Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he narrates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-ilmu deenun, knowledge is a part of your religion. Was-salatu deenun, prayer is a part of your religion. Fandru amman ta'khudun hadhi al-ilm. So be very mindful about whom you are taking this knowledge from. Wa kayfa tusalluna hadhihi salah And also be very mindful about how you pray. Be very mindful about your prayer. فَإِنَّكُمْ تُسْأَلُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Because you will be asked on the Day of Judgment about where you got your knowledge from. It won't just be enough for you to you know, have some misinformation and then just basically pawn it off to just say that, well, I was misinformed. If you did your due diligence and you tried to get your knowledge from proper sources and you were careful about where you were getting your knowledge from, then, that, then that's fine. And you... Nobody's perfect, you made a mistake. But if you're not mindful, if you're not careful, if you never pay any attention, and you just take your knowledge no matter where it comes from, then that's, some, that's a question that you'll have to answer for on the day of resurrection. And similarly, another quote says, That this knowledge is a part of your religion. So be very mindful about where you get your religion from, who you acquire your religion from. And the knowledge that is being referenced, the knowledge that is being spoken about here, is religious knowledge. Al-ilm al-shar'i, religious knowledge. And the scholars have basically mentioned that the primary categories, the primary subjects within religious knowledge are things like tafsir. The explanation, the understanding of the Qur'an. Hadith, the prophetic tradition, even fiqh. Right? Rules and regulations about how do you conduct different, uh, how do you conduct yourself in your daily life. Imam uh, Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, Rahimullah Ta'ala, a great scholar of the religion, he also brings a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is, this is very, very fascinating. He says, لا تأخذ الحديث إلا عمن تجيزون شهادته Do not take hadith from someone whom you would not allow to testify in court. If you wouldn't allow somebody to testify in court, how can you ever acquire knowledge of the religion from them? Imam Malik rahimullah ta'ala, he used to say, لا تحمل العلم, لا تحمل العلم عن أهل البدعي. Do not take knowledge from people who have, you know, very strange, bizarre ideas and practices. In regards to the religion, people who perverse the religion, distort the religion, do not take knowledge from them. وَلَا تَحْمِلْهُ عَمَّنْ لَمْ يُعْرَفْ بِالطَّلَبِ Do not take knowledge from someone who has not been known to be very active in seeking knowledge. Do not take knowledge from someone who has not been very diligent in seeking knowledge. This is very, very important. And I, 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 don't want to, I don't want the conversation to necessarily go there because it's talked about quite often and it seems like a very you know, easy kind of target, if you will. But not for not, meaning that it is an easy target or it is talked about quite often because it is a real issue. The world that we live in today 
the means of communication that are available to people today, the way that our you know, perspectives and our minds are even distorted, our attention is being drawn in different, the things that our attention is drawn to has basically created a world where anyone can have a platform and anyone can broadcast you know, their thoughts. But if someone has, and I understand that this also creates kind of a paradox, it creates a little bit of an issue because you also want to be humble. You don't want to be in a position where you're constantly, you know, kind of critiquing who's speaking. And so it's very difficult, but at the same time, at the same time, this is why Imam Tirmidhi is bringing these quotes. This is why I mentioned Abdullah bin Mubarak said, It's okay to verify where you're getting your information from. Before you enroll within a school, you will look up exactly what the school is, who teaches there, uh, what the rating of the school is, what the, what the, what the situation with the accreditation is. That's, that's, that's obvious. Right? And so, I understand that we want to be humble, and that's just a challenge. We have to find a way to be humble. But that being said, that being said, at the same time, there is no problem with really verifying where you're getting your knowledge and your information from and who you are taking your knowledge from. And if someone has not shown the dedication to this deen and to its knowledge, to sit and learn and to study extensively and to really ground themselves within the study of this religion, from trusted sources and trusted scholars, then Imam Malik is saying, do not take knowledge from that person. Don't. It doesn't matter how eloquent someone may be. It doesn't matter how effective their delivery may be. It does not matter how broad their reach can be. It does not matter how fascinating what they're saying is. And that's not to even discredit everything they're saying. They might be saying something fantastic and great. But that just will not be a source of seeking knowledge. It just won't be. And, and these, I understand that this kind of is a bit harsh. It sounds a bit harsh. But understand that if we never were, if, if this ummah, and the people of this ummah for over the last 1400 years were not particular about this, and were not very diligent about this, we might not have been sitting here right now doing what we're doing. We maybe wouldn't have had anything to be talking about. And so this is something very, very important. He says, Somebody who does not have the ability and the dedication and the humility to sit and learn don't take, don't take knowledge from that person. Do not take knowledge from someone who will lie in worldly issues. Will lie in social situations. Somebody who's not trustworthy in social interactions and in business dealings. Do not take knowledge of the religion from them. Even if that person still has enough consciousness, still has enough mindfulness, 
enough integrity to not lie about the, 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 the words of the Prophet It doesn't matter. If you can't trust a person in their dealings, in their behavior, in their conduct, in their integrity, in their manners, in their character, do not take knowledge from them. Don't. Even if they still have that level of reverence for the religion where they would not violate that, they would not cross that line. It doesn't matter. And so, this is something really remarkable that Ibn Sirin, Muhammad Ibn Sirin, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says about this, where he says that this hadith, this legacy, this tradition of the Prophet is a part of your religion. So be very mindful and careful about who you take your religion from. This particular, um, uh, you, the, the brother of Muhammad ibn Sirin, one of his brothers, one of his younger brothers, his name was Anas ibn Sirin. He was also a student of knowledge and a scholar at his time. But he was quite younger than his older brother Muhammad. He says that when my older brother Muhammad ibn Sirin, the great scholar, when he was near death, he was very, very ill. In the illness that led to his death. He had many of the students that were around him, particularly some younger students, and he said, He said, be mindful of God, O young people. Be very careful about who you will learn this hadith from. فَإِنَّهَا مِن دِينِكُمْ Because this is a part of your religion. And this overall theme, that's why I mentioned a few other narrations, this overall theme, that knowledge of the religion, knowledge, and hadith, and, and Qur'an, and all these different things, right? This knowledge, this is a part of your religion. This is the religion. This is how you know your religion. That this is very, very important and very sacred, so be very mindful about where you get it from. Authenticate your sources this particular quote to this type of an effect is quoted, is noted from many, many people. Al-Hasan al-Basri said something similarly to this effect. Ibrahim al-Nakhai, another tabi'i, they're both tabi'un. Al-Hasan al-Basri, he studied, one of the primary sources of his knowledge was Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Al-Hasan al-Basri said, be very careful about who you take your knowledge from. Uh, Ibrahim al-Nakhai, who studied and benefited from Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He says, be mindful about who you take your knowledge from. Zayd ibn Aslam, who was another tabi'i, who studied with the companions of Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said, be very careful about who you take your knowledge from. Al-Dahaq, another great mufassir of the Qur'an, a tabi'i, a student of the Sahaba. He said, be very mindful who you get your knowledge from. And even Ibn Abbas, Abdullah bin Abbas, and Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they are both quoted to similarly say, be very careful about where you get your knowledge from. This is your religion that is at stake. It's not just information for the sake of information. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just an academic curiosity. This is your religion that we're talking about. And you have to be very mindful and very careful about where you are getting your knowledge from and where you are learning your deen from. So... In, the conclu- uh, in conclusion, at the very end here, Imam At-Tirmidhi, rahimullah ta'ala, brings these two things. Number one, he says 
that amongst all the different sciences, all the different areas of study in the religion, hadith holds a very special sacred place. And particularly when you find yourself in interacting with people. There's a particular point here that I want to make about number nine. When it comes to when it comes to like the philosophy of the religion, the core beliefs of Islam, that the Quran dictates that primarily. Of course, the Prophet speaks about that as well, but the Quran dictates that primarily. The philosophy of the religion, the primary precepts and concepts of faith and belief. That's the realm of the Quran. However, particularly when it comes to dealing and interacting and you know, managing the affairs of the people and speaking about the issues of the people, that is where the hadith, the tradition, the practice, the lifestyle, the personality of the Prophet ﷺ is very, very important. Because that was the role of the Prophet ﷺ. He was a practical manifestation of the guidance of the Qur'an. He showed how it can be lived. So this shows you the central place of hadith in our, in our deen, in our tradition. Then he brings the very last point to say, now that you understand the importance of the prophetic tradition, now just be very careful about where you will get this prophetic tradition from. Be very mindful, be very careful, be very diligent about where you get this prophetic tradition from. And the scholars have mentioned that Imam At-Tirmidhi completing, concluding, his text with, this, with these narrations is akin to what the scholars of hadith would do when they would begin their books and compilations of hadith with innamal a'malu bin niyat. This is akin to that. This is along those same lines. That whenever they would start the compilation of hadith, they always said, actions are rooted within, are based upon, are rewarded by, aided by the intentions that fuel them, that support them, that they, are, that they are founded upon. So reminding you that before you delve here into the rich tradition of the Prophet ﷺ, before you go dive into the sunnah here, that first clarify your intention. And after maybe, you know, taking a long swim within this, you know, this ocean and this sea of knowledge, this bahar. That after, when, you are, when you are concluding this first text, when you're concluding this text, and you're taking a break, then remind yourself of the fact that what you just did was not something that you just did because it was just something to do on the side, it was an activity. No, this was something really remarkable and very profound what you just did. And it's reminding once again that the next time that you decide to dive into this sea and this ocean of knowledge once more of the prophetic tradition of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, be very mindful, be very careful about where you're getting that knowledge from. And with that, uh, Imam Al-Tirmidhi concludes uh, this compilation on the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality. And... I wanted to just mention a couple of things here at the very end. Um, first and foremost, you know, ultimately the objective from all of this, the objective of all of this is to live it, is to practice it, to realize it within our lives. And then be able to share 
that benefit with others as well. But that first point I really want to emphasize upon. We have to, f- we, we, we have to hold ourselves accountable. We have to hold ourselves accountable. And, and you have to, I have to hold myself more accountable. I have to hold myself accountable before anyone else. I, I, I have teachers or I have mentors. I have people in my life that would help me and, and, and hold me accountable or help me hold myself accountable. But I have to be hard on myself. And I have to really check myself against what I've studied here, what I've learned here, what I've read here. I have to hold myself to this. That's the ultimate objective. And that's the very first and important thing. The second thing is that we've learned so much and we've benefited so much and it's been so remarkable to get this type of an up-close, kind of personal look at the Prophet So first and foremost, we should walk away with a profound love and respect for the Prophet and we should just be, it, it should really deepen our appreciation and our love for the Prophet and, and that's the second thing, and sending peace and salutations and blessings upon the Prophet is very, very important. Then all the people who, who were so mindful, so mindful. I mean, think about this. I, 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 if someone was to ask me, Friday evening, what was said in the khutbah, I'm not sure that I'd be able to recall. I'd be able to tell them what, what was said in the khutbah. Even though I gave it. But I'm not sure. See, that, that tells you right there. Listening-wise, forget about it. Somebody said, what was said in the Friday khutbah? What khutbah? There was khutbah today? Just completely. Right? But how remarkable were these people? The family of the Prophet said the mothers of the believers, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, his children, his grandchildren, his cousins, his uncles, all these remarkable... And then all the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. How remarkable were these people and how amazing were these people that they never ever shared a moment with the Prophet ﷺ where they weren't just completely paying full attention, looking, listening, learning, noting, memorizing... Because not only did they cherish it and did they benefit from it, but they also had in mind, these were such amazing people. People of such responsibility, integrity, selflessness. They thought about us. They thought about us. Sitting in front of the Prophet in that moment, just kind of losing yourself there, but just making sure that you were mindful and you followed the Prophet around in the street and you paid attention to every little thing that he did and you asked him follow-up questions about every little thing. Because they were thinking about us. That there will come people later. The Prophet ﷺ even spoke to them about us. Where the Prophet ﷺ said, my brothers, I miss my brothers. He said, are we not your brothers? He said, you are my companions. But my brothers are those people that will believe in me and have not seen me. And that was not only the Prophet you know, you know, appreciating us and thinking of us, but that was the Prophet ﷺ also reminding the companions that there will come people who will believe in me, but didn't get to see me, and interact with me, and sit with me, and walk with me, and talk with me, and eat with me, the way that you did. They didn't get to pray with me, and read Qur'an with me. They didn't get to do that. And that's why the Sahaba made it their life's mission, to make sure that we would know everything possible about the Prophet ﷺ. 
I mean, we even see narrations where the mothers of the believers share very personal details and intimate moments just so that we could know. They made that sacrifice. They shared the most personal moments of their life, something that nobody should, you know, nobody has to share. It's yours, it's theirs, whosever moment it is. But they shared it with us so we could benefit from the Prophet ﷺ. So remember those people as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them. And then all the people, all these names, you know one of the things, especially for folks who maybe haven't had the opportunity to sit in a more formal study of hadith, whenever we read the narration, you probably notice I start by reading the whole chain of narration, all the names of these people. And then the translation doesn't even have their names in it because again, there's no point, you don't translate names. So it doesn't even have the names. And it seems like the real information is right there. So sometimes our very efficient, efficiency-oriented minds, mashallah, right, might think that, why, why, why do we waste the, the time reading through those lines? of this? They're there, they're there, that's fine, we know where they're there, that's okay. But it's to appreciate those people and all the work they put in and all the sacrifices they made. That they dedicated their lives to learning and passing this tradition onward. And so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon them. We make dua for them, we appreciate them. Imam At-Tirmidhi who compiled this book together that for now 1200 years is still taught till today, read all the world around today, that through the compilation that he put together painstakingly, you know, he put together we can actually have such an intimate, you know, understanding of how our Messenger Sallallahu what he was like. And, you know, this, just getting to go through the entirety of this book with the students as well, um, was also something that was personally very meaningful for me. Obviously, aside from getting to study it and read it and benefit and share it, but um, my teacher that, taught me this particular text, Mufti Atikur Rahman, Rahimullahu Ta'ala, he passed away. And so it's also very meaningful to be able to just kind of continue on that work, the, all that time and that effort and that dedication that he put into us. Um, even though there were probably people that deserved his time more and his time would have been better spent with them. But um, he dedicated that time to us and put all that effort and energy into us. So it's also very... Um, it's just very humbling and also I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to pass that knowledge on forward. And uh, please remember him in your du'as as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him jannatul firdaus al-a'la. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless and preserve and protect his family. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahum bihamdik. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta nasaghfirka wa natubu ilayk.